thing we'd done was wrong. Staying in the wilderness too long. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. The only thing we'd done was right. Was the day we started to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize. You are listening to Farm and Fiddle, the podcast that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. Every week since June 1999, we have brought you the best voices in sustainable agriculture to the radio airwaves on Mid-Missouri's KOPN 89.5 FM. This is Rhett Hartman. I'm Margot McMillan. Thanks for listening. I think anybody who has followed the issue with concentrated animal feeding operations knows the name of Steve Jeffrey now. He has done a lot of work in this area, and we really appreciate it. So thanks for being here, Steve. We really, I'm really glad you could make it. Margo, thanks for having me. He's been focusing on environmental issues for more than 30 years. Started out as an attorney for the Department of Natural Resources, so he really knows that organization organization from the inside and he also has had a front row seat on how industry has been lobbying to change the laws that once protected the air and the water and the citizens and I hope that's not too much to say Steve that you've you've been able to watch this from close up and personal it's it's been an interesting fight okay so let's Let's just think about how what a CAFO is. I guess we have to need to talk about that a little bit. The 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 barns have pits that the manure is stored in, and these pits is are these pits going to be under or they if they were building this under the barns? So is that correct? Yeah, you're you're so, right about that. The last several years, uh, most all CAFOs in Missouri have been, or at least swine CAFOs, mm-hmm. are have what are called deep or deep pit buildings. Mm-hmm. And what this is, if you could visualize a cement swimming pool, mm. 10 feet deep, the size of two football fields end to end. Two football fields. They're over, 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 over the size of two football fields. Oh. These, these production barns can be over 600 feet long. Typically they're 10 to 12 feet deep and they have a slatted floor so as the animals walk across and you know do their thing all mm-hmm. the, the waste material and you know, wash down water is all collected in, in these deep pits. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and with some regularity, I don't know how often it happens that uh, this, this waste material is pumped out mm-hmm. and then given away. It's generally it's given away free to you know, different area farmers who use it as fertilizer on you know, various agricultural row crops. Mm-hmm. So if there was a flood. There's, of course, a chance that that uh, manure and feces and urine and stuff would just come into the floodwaters, which, of course, would recede into the creek. Is Am I following this right? Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly what the issue is. Mm-hmm. Trenton Farms is located, it's probably five miles southwest of the town of Trenton. It's in a rolling hill 
uh, type of area, mm -hmm. relatively scenic. Mm -hmm. And the uh, president of the Hickory Neighbors organization, she and her family happened to live a little over 1,200 feet from the nearest corner of where one of these large CAFO barns is going to be. Oh. And they're immediately downwind of it, so I can totally see where, why they're concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when you've got something like that facing your neighborhood, you really you really try to pull out the stops and figure out where you can get an advantage. So I know you have filed a, a brief. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about what is in that. Sure. Uh, to probably tee that up, it might be helpful for okay. the listeners to maybe go over a little bit of the past history. Mm -hmm. The Trenton Farms CAFO, as I indicated, is located in Grundy County, five or six miles out of Trenton, mm -hmm. but it's located in the watershed of the Thompson River. And this is proving to be sig a significant issue for the fact that the Thompson River floods frequently. Mm. So, you know, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, they issue flood maps for areas all across the United States. And the, the location of Trenton Farms' three barns Two of the barns are located within FEMA's flood zone. So this is a couple of years ago. The DNR issued a permit to Trenton Farms for you know the operation of their hog farm. Uh -huh. The Hickory Neighbors folks appealed that uh, to the Clean Water Commission. There was a hearing conducted, and you know that was one of the issues that we raised at the Clean Water Commission hearing. You know uh -huh. the fact that this is located that that here's a, here's a FEMA map, right. and here's a map of where Trenton Farms is going to be located, and if you compare the two, it's it's apparent to the casual observer where where this facility would be located. So at, at that Clean Water Commission hearing, we persuaded four of the commissioners to vote to deny that permit. So seven people on the commission, right? Yeah, there are seven people, uh -huh. seven members on the commission, and four of them that day voted to deny that CAFO permit. Mm -hmm. So the Trenton Farms folks filed an appeal at the Court of Appeals in Kansas City. So the issue was briefed. Now, like I say, this is a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, the Court of Appeals has their oral arguments, and so the lawyers uh, show up and do their thing. And ultimately, the Court of Appeals at that point ruled in favor of Hickory Neighbors on the flood issue. Huh. They said that, well, there's just not enough evidence in the record to, sh to prove that these production barns are going to be located outside the FEMA flood zone, the 100-year floodplain. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, the, the day after the Court of Appeals issued that decision, DNR turns around and issues a brand new CAFO permit to Trenton Farms. Because hmm. Trenton Farms evidently hedging their bets, they had submitted a separate, a second application to the DNR, which had been working its way through the system. And so DNR waited until after the Court of Appeals decision was came out before finalizing the second permit. So it's really that second permit is up on appeal now. The, oh. the Hickory Neighbors folks, we filed another appeal with the Clean Water Commission. The Clean Water Commission, at this point, the membership composition is significantly different from what it was a couple of years ago. And, mm -hmm. and hopefully we'll get into a discussion of that here in a few yes. minutes. But anyway, so the Clean Water Commission voted to uphold the permit. So the Hickory Neighbors United filed an appeal. So that is now at the Court of Appeals in Kansas City. Uh -huh. And that is the first, the appellate 
appellant's brief that we filed in that case last week. So, okay, let's let me just be clear on this. The the second permit application, which went through after the first permit application had been turned down by the Court of Appeals, that application showed the barns to be in a different spot? No, the barns are located in the same spot. Difference is the Trenton Farms folks hired a uh, an expert, as it were, who does what are called flood studies. Mm-hmm. They look at topographic maps and take measurements and do various calculations on a computer model that the Corps of Engineers and FEMA use in floodplain work. And so he issued a nice report that concluded that, well, because of certain berms that they're going to build around the facility, that these berms will prevent the floodwaters from actually encroaching into the barns. So therefore, it's it's outside the 100-year floodplain. So that was the basis that the Clean Water Commission apparently relied on in issuing that that you know agreeing that the second permit was was legitimately issued uh, and what and the precise point that that we're raising among other issues in our brief that we filed it relates to this flood study mm-hmm. as i said a while ago they an, an expert did the you know the computer modeling developed the calculations issued a nice report and then when he forwarded his report to the engineers working for the CAFO he, he noted in his email that, well, although we have determined that once these, because of these berms, it shifts the line where the 100-year floodplain goes, oh. this, is, this is really informational only because legally the 100-year the floodplain stays where FEMA says it is. Right. FEMA doesn't, didn't make a change That's right. The, the, the flood study was never submitted to FEMA for any mm-hmm. type of review because typically anyone who's ever been involved in a development project, for example, mm-hmm. that has done one of these flood studies, you know, for flood insurance or whatever sure, purposes. flood insurance, you, yeah. You, you, you have to, this flood study has to be submitted to FEMA and they have their technical people review it and if they conclude it's meritorious they will issue a new flood map none of that has ever happened so mm-hmm. our point you know one of our points on appeal is well this new flood study is all fine and good however their own expert admits in his email that it's for informational purposes only and the regulatory legal floodplain line is still where it was the first, the first time around uh-huh. that we did this case two years ago. Uh-huh. So it'll be interesting how the Court of Appeals uh, addresses this point. Right. Uh, so the Court of Appeals, is this a different group of people that was on, on the court before? No, the Court of Appeals, there are uh, several appellate judges there in mm-hmm. Kansas City, and they generally sit in groups of three judges to okay. hear different cases. So I don't, I don't know which three judges are going to hear this one. It, it could be the same as, as the first time. It could be totally different. And when is that? Um, we just filed our brief, so the other side gets to file a brief, and then the court has their law clerks review all that, and then they'll mm-hmm. set an argument date for oral argument at, at the appellate hearing. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be sometime in the fall. Mm-hmm. So you've got some of the issues would be the floodplain, 
composition of the Clean Water Commission. How you just yeah. mentioned the composition of the Clean Water Commission. That, mm-hmm. that, that's that's an interesting point. If I could maybe digress for a few minutes to just sure. talk about some of the you know significant changes which have happened in the legislature over the last few years that are have, have that come into play in all this CAFO work. That's great. That's great. And and we should remember that a lot of people who who are listening don't even probably know like what the Clean Water Commission is. So we should define these things as we go along, not get too deep in the weeds. Sure, sure. Anyway, in, in the mid-1960s, mm-hmm. the legislature in Jeff City created the, the Missouri Clean Water Commission. Mm-hmm. And, and it's responsible basically to deal with water quality, water pollution issues in the state. And they adopt rules and regulations which impose standards for, for various activities. And they also issue permits to different entities to do various activities. Like, for example, in this, you know, in these CAFO cases, the Clean Water Commission reviews the permits which DNR issues to allow a CAFO to operate. Mm-hmm. But, but really what's, what's significant about this is uh, the fact that in 2013, the law changed because prior to 2013, mm. if someone wanted to come in and cite one of these large CAFOs, you had to first obtain what's called a construction permit. Mm-hmm. And what a construction permit is, is you essentially submit all your building plans and specs, your engineering drawings, you know, all the technical type information. You submit that to the DNR and they'll have their permit engineers review that and go through it just to make sure that everything is built you know, according to specifications, the proper materials are used, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Then once the construction permit was issued, the facility can go out and build and build, you know, get, get built. Mm-hmm. But before you can bring animals in, you have to apply for a second permit called an operating permit. Mm-hmm. And what the operating permit is, is DNR people will go out and look at the, what was built just to make sure that everything is built the way the applicant said mm-hmm. they were going to build it. And if all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed, then the DNR would issue an operating permit to the CAFO. So re- really, if you think about it conceptually, these construction permits served a very legitimate function in order to ensure that the cement you know swimming pools the size of two football fields end to end are properly constructed mm-hmm. because anyone who's familiar who's ever built anything in Missouri <laughs> you know shifting areas and mm-hmm. site geology and all these technical things which are above my head for example they're all very important and you really need someone to go through all that but in 2013 the law was changed such that a CAFO, for example, no longer is required to apply for and obtain a construction permit unless they're going to build some type of small pond on their property, something that Mm -hmm. requires an earthen basin. Mm -hmm. So really, if you have a large CAFO that's going to have several large buildings and several of these mega deep pit manure containment structures, none of that would be subject to the construction permit requirements, only the little watering pond that you're building over in the back corner. So so really there's no technical review or mm-hmm. oversight at all over the construction activities involving these facilities since 2013. Well, well Steve, I don't want to interrupt your flow, but why do you think that was changed in 2013? Why do you think that law was changed? 
Most likely it was changed due to um, probably to save the ag industry, the, the CAFO people in particular, you know, just the time and effort and costs associated with the preparation of all these engineering drawings, the plans, mm. the specifications. And it takes a lot of time for the DNR staff to review that. It's probably not disputed that DNR doesn't have that large of a staff of mm. engineers. So, you know, the more work you heap up on someone, the longer it's going to take them to complete those, review the, all those projects. So yeah. it's probably a cost-saving measure, uh-huh. and a t- okay. but probably more importantly, it, it fast-tracks the construction of the CAFO. Uh-huh. That's probably two factors I would think that that played into why that law was changed back in 2013. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it had nothing to do with protecting the public health or uh, slowing it down so that people could figure out how you know how to react. People in the neighborhood. It just had to do with convenience of the industry. It sounds like that, that's that's the way it looks like. Okay, so I interrupted you. You were talking about the Clean Water Commission and. And the the policies or the procedures to get through the Clean Water Commission. And again, the Clean Water Commission, by law, it consists of up to seven members. Democrats, Republicans, a mix on it. Before 2016, the composition of the Clean Water Commission, there was a requirement that at least four of the members be what are called public members, that mm-hmm. is a representative of the general public. And there was a requirement that it, that up to but no more than two of the members could represent agriculture, industry, or mining interests. Okay. Then, and, and it was a commission that was appointed under that version of the law which voted to deny the first Trenton Farms permit. Okay, so the, the so the the first permit went to the Clean Water Commission when the Clean Water Commission had four maybe they're not ordinary citizens but they're interested interested folks but not connected with industry they're they're just people exactly. who are you're, interested. You're exactly right, Mark. And, and then in 2016 Uh, a state senator who's chairman of the Senate Ag Committee, like a week before the end of the legislative session, tacked on to another piece of legislation, an amendment to the clean water law. And it, it made very subtle changes. Like, for example, prior to this change, the law said at least four public members were on the Clean Water Commission. He took out the words, at least, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. and substituted the words, quote, no more than, unquote. And you think, well, really, this is just a couple of words. What what effect does that have? Well, it has significant effect because under the prior version of the law, at least four of the members were required to be public members. Uh But under the new version of the law, it says, no more than four can be public members, which means you can have zero public members uh-huh. on the commission. Uh-huh. And the other change, uh, there was a similar word wording change to the how many agriculture, industry, and mining representatives were on the Clean Water Commission. And the effect of that change was you can have six agriculture, industry, or mining members and no public members on this seven-person commission. This was legislation which was tacked on to another bill. I think it was on May the 5th, and the mm-hmm. legislative session is over May the, May the 15th, so not too much time to, to a lot of public input on that particular legislation. Mm-hmm. Although there, I, I know a lot of the environmental groups, I believe the Missouri Coalition for the Environment, Sierra Club, they all mobilized and 
wrote letters into the governor's office that said, hey, this legislation that was passed, although it does various other things, it makes this such a significant change to the composition of the Clean Water Commission, you should strongly consider vetoing that. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, Governor Nixon vetoed the entire bill. Mm. And the reason in his veto statement was because of the significant and drastic change this amendment made to the composition of the Clean Water Commission. Then, as anyone who, uh, Civics 101, if a governor vetoes a bill, it always goes back to the legislature Mm. for a possible override. And unfortunately, this piece of legislation in September 2016, the legislature voted to override the veto, so the bill went into effect. And it, and, and the, but the composition of the Clean Water Commission stayed, stayed relatively the same up until December of 2017, when I believe it was December the 5th, the governor appointed three new members to the Clean Water Commission. He had appointed another new member a couple of months before that. So with, with the four new appointments that he made, had the effect of removing from the Clean Water Commission the four folks who had previously voted to deny the CAFO perm. So those people were out. These four new people were in. And interestingly enough, if you look at the qualifications of these folks, and some of them are, are designated as public members. One gentleman, his father is president of the Missouri Farm Bureau. Another one of the appointees was on the board of directors for the Missouri Soybean Association. And there was a a woman appointed in her day job. She's the chief of staff to the state senator who sponsored the initial amendment that changed the law in the first place. So and these these big commodity groups are some you know the soybean association and the farm bureau and uh, corn growers and there's a whole big slew of these commodity groups they basically are in favor of promoting these huge confinements and just big ag just the huge agricultural system that we see overtaking the land so so those guys probably couldn't be considered unbiased. They would be folks that would vote for a CAFO. You, you would think, and, and that's an argument that we made because really a week after these appointments were made, that's when the Clean Water Commission met to consider the second Trenton Farms permit. Hmm. And at that hearing, we made a motion to disqualify several of these new commissioners along the lines that, that you just laid out. But unfortunately, the question was asked, well, Mr. Commissioner, because you're a member of the Missouri Soybean Association, do you feel you're, you should be disqualified? <laughs> and surprisingly, the answer was no. <laughs> so then the remaining commissioners all voted to uh, uh, deny the disqualification. But also significantly, we pointed out that on the first Trenton Farms permit, representatives of the Missouri Farm Bureau and the Missouri Soybean Association affirmatively lobbied the Clean Water Commission to issue that permit. So the two groups who initially were advocating for the issuance of the permit now have people in leadership positions mm-hmm. on the Clean Water Commission. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the basis of our attempt to try to disqualify some of these folks. But well, And again, this whole disqualification issue is a component of the brief we filed last week at the Court of Appeals, mm-hmm. as is the uh, 2016 amendment, which changed the clean water law 
just just the manner in which the legislation was passed. Mm -hmm. And and just briefly, there are provisions in the Missouri Constitution that say, you know, imposes requirements on how the legislature passes bills. For example, there's a constitutional requirement that a bill can only have what's called a single subject. And then there's another provision that says all the various components within a piece of legislation, they all have to somehow relate to whatever the subject of the bill is. In this case, we said that, well, by adding this uh, change to the composition of the Clean Water Commission to a piece of legislation that had absolutely nothing to do with the Clean Water Commission violated those constitutional provisions. So that's an issue that hopefully the Court of Appeals will address. Well, if you're just tuning in, I am speaking with Steve Jeffrey, and he is an attorney, works on uh, environmental issues. We're talking about concentrated animal feeding operations and specifically about a case that Steve is taking forward called Hickory Neighbors United. In January 2019, the Missouri Court of Appeals turned down the request of Hickory Neighbors. They will take their case to the Supreme Court. The music for this podcast comes from the recording Oh Freedom, Songs of the Civil Rights Movement by Chris Valillo in Macomb, Illinois. Thanks, Chris.